No doubt you're familiar with David Barton, the founder of Wall Builders in Texas, a group that stresses the importance of God and country. He has thousands of original documents and has been an articulate champion of our Judeo-Christian heritage. He just spoke at Family Talk's The Gathering in Colorado Springs over the last several weeks, and Family Talk will air that speech, so you need to check it out at Dr. James Dobson. .org to hear it in its entirety. But I want to summarize some of what David Barton said. I'm Adam McManus, and for Kevin Swanson, on this edition of Generations Radio, first he pointed to a disturbing American Bible Society report, which noted that last year, 26 million Americans stopped reading their Bible. 26 million Americans. It's the lowest level of biblical literacy we've had in America. We've kept polling for 120 years, and this is the lowest it's ever been. Because Americans are not reading their Bible, Americans don't have a biblical perspective on the issues of the day, from free market to due process to the right to confront your accuser to the right to compel witnesses on your behalf, a whole range of topics, sanctity of life, religious liberty. Christian pollster George Barna sampled a representative percentage of America's 384,000 pastors. Guess what percentage of pastors deal with social, civil, and political issues? You think it's as high as 30%, 20%? Oh no, you'd be mistaken. It's not even 5%. It's 2.8%. And when you look at the stat of self-professed Christians, that also has dropped dramatically. In 2000, 85% of Americans were self-professed Christians. That dropped in 2020 down to 65%, a 20% drop in 20 years of self-professed Christians in America. We, as Kevin Swanson, is quick to remind us in the midst of the decline of Western civilization. And this is another Polaroid snapshot of that. 20% drop in 20 years. Now, beyond the fact that Americans are not reading their Bible... Beyond the fact that fewer and fewer people are identifying themselves as Christian in the first place, we have a major problem in America, even among Christians, that we have an almost obsession with a national focus. We all know the national headlines, but we really don't know what's happening locally, where we can make the greatest difference. When David Barton crisscrosses the country, he'll ask the audience to identify three federal legislators, and they can start knocking them out, you know. Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, AOC, people on the right, people on the left, they know them. But they're hard-pressed to cite three members of their local city council. I loved my work at KSLR Radio in San Antonio, Texas, a Salem Communications affiliate. was there for 13 years doing a daily, three-hour, live, political, Christian call-and talk show. I was able to zero in on, especially around election time, all of these fascinating political races for state rep, state senator, city council, county commissioner, district attorney, fill in the blank, we talked about it. But not just around election time, we also recognized the importance of talking about the local issues regularly. I mean, of course, we would react and respond and feature national guests and national authors, but we often would feature stories that hadn't even made it into the newspaper. 
frankly, it was a real honor to be able to present information that listeners locally were not able to find anywhere else, including the local San Antonio Express News. It was empowering to them, empowering to cast an informed ballot in the local elections, empowering to find out about what the city council was trying to sneak through next. I remember when the Esperanza Peace and Justice Center uh, had used a $70,000 grant when I first came to town back in 1997 to fund all kinds of homosexual agenda items. I urged the listeners to KSLR Radio to join me and to speak out, to sign up, to speak out at the city council, and ask them to consider defunding groups that were advocating a worldview that 95% of the citizens disagreed with vehemently. We saw some great wins. We saw, for example, defunding of that Esperanza Peace and Justice Center almost 25 years ago now. David Barton says, look, people need to know who their local city council people are. Do you know yours? Are you involved? Now, that doesn't mean you attend every meeting. We don't have time to do that. But be aware. Look online. What are they saying in their minutes, in their upcoming agenda? You don't have to necessarily even subscribe to the paper. You can probably look at your local paper online and look at the local news section. No doubt there's a leftist bias there, but there's also a presentation of some facts and figures that are helpful. And if you know there's an upcoming discussion about our God-given sexuality or comprehensive sex education in the school or the school board level, even if you don't have kids in the government schools, it's important to speak out. You're a taxpayer. You're funding those schools. And you are just as welcome at that meeting as the parent of a child that attends that public school. So I agree with David Barton. I think it's important to speak out and to become informed. Just don't cue into the national stuff. Research for yourself what's happening. Know who your city council person is. Reach out to them and connect with them. Not just when things are amiss, but when it's Thanksgiving, when it's Christmas. Send them a Thanksgiving card, a Christmas card, an Easter card. Share your faith with them. And then you've built a relationship so that when something does need their attention from your perspective, they're that much more willing to hear you. David Barton went on to say that Christians are under the false impression that the Great Awakening was a national revival, but it was actually a lot of local revivals. And he pointed to George Whitfield, the English preacher who delivered 18,000 sermons over 34 years. 80% of all Americans physically had heard George Whitfield preach. Imagine that kind of message penetration without Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, internet, radio, television. This was the connection that he had with the people because he had gotten in front of those people. So he would come in and, in the power of the Holy Spirit, preach. A revival of the hearts of the listeners would occur. But it didn't just end there. That's where it started. It happened in thousands of communities, and when that revival broke out, for example, in Boston, Sam Cooper kept it going another decade there. Same thing happened with Gilbert Tennant in Philadelphia and Samuel Davies in the woods of Virginia. They carried on those revivals for 10, 15, 19 years. David Barton says the same is true of the American War for Independence. People today look back on it and think it was this gigantic war and... America won it, Britain fell, 
No, it's not that simple. Actually, the war was comprised of 137 battles. And America, the colonies, won so many local battles that we won the national war. The British would come into town and people would rise up and say, no, you're not going to do that here. You're not welcome here. It almost reminds me of Russia and Ukraine today. Same thing in Ukraine. Russian troops would come in, and I've seen the videos. It's incredible to watch. Here are these soldiers with threatening, life-ending weapons on their person, and I've seen elderly women in Ukraine stand up to them and say, go home, get out, don't do this. This is wrong. Not to mention well-trained Ukrainian soldiers themselves who have in large measure taken much of the territory back for Ukraine. So the War for Independence was not a national movement. And therefore, David Barton says, you know, there were certainly national leaders like George Washington. But, but sadly, public school students are really not studying local leaders like Pastor Jonas Clark, who organized 70 guys from his church to face the 700 British at the Battle of Lexington, outnumbered 10 to 1. Or Reverend William Emerson, who took 400 guys out to stop the British as they marched over the bridge to Boston. Then you get to the Battle of Bunker Hill. Joseph Willard said, well, I've got two companies here in my church. Let's get with the other churches and defend Boston. It was all local. David Barton goes on to explain in his talk at the gathering in Colorado Springs several weeks ago that there are three requirements to be a voter in the United States. Two are constitutional. One is statutory. Constitutionally, if you're 18 years old and you're a legal citizen, you can vote. But the third requirement is the statutory one. You have to register to vote. That way, we make sure you don't vote seven times or somebody doesn't vote seven times for you. You ready for some sobering stats? This is pretty (laughs) shocking. Only 65% of American adults are registered to vote. We have essentially more than 100 million American adults who have said, I don't care what happens to the country. I ain't going to be a part of it. And among that number of 100 million American adults who have not registered to vote are 40 million professing evangelical Christians who are not registered to vote. So they can't be the salt and the light, even if they wanted to be in the culture, because they're not registered to vote to communicate their biblical convictions in a culture that is in rapid decline and many describe as post-Christian. Now get this, in the last 11 presidential elections, the average voter turnout is 54%. But remember this, that's 54% of registered voters. That's not of the entire population, that's just 54% of the registered voters. So that means it's 54% of 65% of the population, which means only 36% of adults vote for president. Okay, so there's your number. 36% of American adults vote for president. It takes half of them to win, 18%. In other words, in the last 11 presidential elections, one out of five Americans chose the president. Four out of five, by definition, did not choose the president. And it gets a lot worse during these midterm or off-year elections when there's not all the razzmatazz about who's going to be the resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue when we're deciding little things like who's going to be your next governor, senator, legislator, congressman. The voter turnout 
has been 38%. But remember, that's 38% of the registered voters, and there's only 65% who are registered. So that means, don't let your eyes glaze over now, that means that 26% of Americans actually vote for governor, senator, congressman in those off-year elections. And it takes half of that to win, 13%. So for the last 21 off-year elections, one out of eight Americans has chosen our governors or senators or congressmen. Therefore, seven out of eight have not chosen our governors or senators or congressmen. And it gets really bad when you get down to the local level for city council, for county commissioner, for district attorney. Only 6% of people are showing up. But remember, that 6% of the registered voters, which is 65%. So 6% of the 65% means that you actually have a voter turnout of about 4%. And it takes half of that to win, which is 2%. So let me bring this up to speed with what is practical. Eric Garcetti, do you know that name? Mayor of Los Angeles, rabid liberal, wrong on everything brags about the fact that he was elected with 2.9% of the vote. And he was extremely church hostile. During the COVID shutdowns, everything else is essential. Pot shops, liquor shops, box stores. But guess what wasn't essential? Churches. You realize, don't you, that there are enough churches in Los Angeles to have anybody they want for mayor. But not when you have a 2.9% voter turnout. Same thing in Houston where a self-professed lesbian was elected. And she insisted that if you say marriage is between a man and a woman now, that is a hate crime. She went after Houston pastors, subpoenaed 17 different forms of communication, all because the church, the Christians, the believers, are A, not registered to vote, and B, when they are registered to vote, they don't vote. David Barton was especially disturbed by what happened in Fort Worth. You see, Fort Worth is his hometown. He's from, he's from an outlying suburb of Fort Worth. But this is the same city where they let kids choose whatever bathroom they want to go into, locker room, shower. That gender foolishness of Fort Worth was what was picked up by President Obama's Secretary of Education, Arne Duncan, who then made it a national issue in President Obama's office years from between 2000 and 2008. Arne Duncan insisted that if a school gets federal funding, that's 97% of them, then they have to adopt the transgender agenda. Well, he recalled the cattle drives that go through Fort Worth, where they close off the streets to the traffic. And he said, quote, if you look at them from behind, every one of those beasts, you can tell me the gender of every critter that's in that herd. <laughs> it's not a hard thing. You won't be confused either. And on top of that, there's only two genders. God said he made them male and female. Four times he said that. Now, you take a step back. How many people live in Fort Worth? 918,000 people. That's the population. Well, it was the president of the school board who came up with this ridiculous transgender idea of allowing the kids to determine what bathroom, what shower, what locker room they use, much to the consternation of normal, everyday thinking people who still subscribe to the notion of a Judeo-Christian heritage. Guess how many votes that president of the school board from Fort Worth got to win? 
1,200 votes. That's nothing comparatively. And Barton said, in the district where he won, I quickly found dozens of evangelical churches. He said one Bible-believing evangelical church had more than 3,000 registered adult voters in that church. So the fact that the transgender agenda went national, and it came from Fort Worth, Texas, and the fact that if Christians had voted the right way and had registered to vote and shown up and gotten educated about who was good and who was bad, that lousy president of the Fort Worth School Board would never have been elected. He would never have implemented this bizarre, anti-Christian, transgender agenda. And Arne Duncan would not have made it go national. Barton also referenced Bentonville, Arkansas. That's the hometown of Walmart, a town of 40,000 people. Guess how many people voted for school board in that town? 40,000 people now live there. A paltry 35. But, thankfully, a Christian lady ran for the board and was elected. He told this final story of what happened in an election from Iowa. There was a Christian man who ran for school board. The vote, oh, I would say it was close. Because he got busy that day, the man who himself had gotten on the ballot, who was a Christian, prepared to implement Christian values at the school board, because he got busy, he did not vote himself. And amazingly, nobody else did either. So he did not get elected. And had he voted for himself, he would have been the only vote, and he would have voted himself into office. This is a snapshot of what's happening in our local elections across the nation. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll talk about the three institutions that God made and how Christians are connected to two of them, but not to the third one. And why that's not only an oversight, it's disobedient. I'm Adam McManus in for Kevin Swanson. You're listening to Generations Radio. What happens when a culture that was established and guided by biblical principles abandons the faith and seeks to live by its own wisdom? In his latest groundbreaking work, Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West, Kevin Swanson unfolds the dramatic history of Western civilization, highlighting the phenomenal impact that Jesus Christ and his people have had upon the thought, culture, and institutions of the Christian West as well as tracing the slow but devastating decline of Western civilization and the key factors that have led to our spectacular fall over the centuries. A sobering narrative of gospel hope, this book urges its reader to greater fervency in the work of discipleship and the development of an international vision for the church. This is truly a must-read for any Christian seeking to understand the times and seasons in which we live You can claim your hardcover copy of Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West by visiting generations.org slash store today. That's generations.org slash store. Welcome back to Generations Radio. Adam McManus here in for Kevin Swanson. And I'm recapping a talk that David Barton recently gave at The Gathering, an event organized by Family Talk with Dr. James Dobson. Now, you can hear the talk in its entirety at drjamesdobson.org. That's D R 
jamesdobson.org. Just click on the broadcast tab. It aired on Monday, October 31st. You can listen to it right on the website. Of course, we're all familiar with the three institutions that God created. The family, the church, and the civil government. David Barton said, the founder of Wall Builders, Today, as biblically illiterate as we are, most Christians are two-thirds Christians, meaning that they support the family, they support the church, but they ignore or think that the civil government is irrelevant to their lives. Barton says we need to be three-thirds Christians. When the Founding Fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, our National Birth Certificate, Do you know the name of the single most cited source at the time? It was a book by John Locke called The Two Treatises of Government, published in 1690. Now, in John Locke's book, the single most cited source at the time, he references the Bible more than 1,500 times. Incredible! For the last several months, David Barton and his team with Wall Builders have been traveling through 24 states, doing three pastor's briefings a day, morning, noon, and night. He says he can't get pastors to give him more than five to seven verses that deal with the government. We just don't know what the Bible says about government. But the Bible's not silent. Interestingly, Wall Builders has thousands of sermons from the founding era. The pastors preached on the issues raised in Scripture from medicine to law to faith, the government, the sermons were highly relevant and did not ignore the issues of their time. Interestingly, President John Adams, our second president, said of all the 250 founding fathers, the three most notable founding fathers, can you guess them, were George Washington, number one, number two, Ben Franklin, and number three, Benjamin Rush. Have you ever heard of Benjamin Rush? Rush signed the Declaration, he ratified the Constitution, He served in three different presidential administrations. This is where it gets really interesting. He started the first Bible Society in America, started academic education for women, started the first abolition society in America, led the national abolition of slavery movement, and started the Sunday school movement in America. Rush is called the father of American medicine because he trained the first black physicians and started five universities. He's also known, interestingly, as the father of public schools under the Constitution. Now, in 1790, he outlined the threefold vision for public schools. Number one, they were to teach students to love and serve God. (laughs) I think if you ask the average public school administrator or teacher what they think of that, they would probably faint or claim you're lying. Second, Public schools were to teach students to love and serve their country. And third, public schools were to teach students to love and serve their families. Wow, what a contrast to the public schools of today. They have totally disintegrated into something that nobody even recognizes. Beyond that, there are landmines scattered throughout the land, ready to blow up the children who are walking into adulthood at any point. You can look at what's happening in California. Democrat California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a law that says if any student wants to transgender transition, to become chemically castrated, to have healthy body parts mutilated, parents 
in Newsom's Golden State, where he has signed this transgender refuge bill, if parents don't want their minor child to go through these disfiguring transgender surgeries and take these hormone-blocking drugs that are life-altering, the state will remove those minor children from the parents and raise them. I mean, this this is hard to believe it's even happened. It sounds like something out of a weird futuristic movie, but it's here and it's now and it's in California. In Fort Worth, did you know they're giving out birth control to 10-year-olds? And in Loudoun County and Fairfax County, Virginia, three years ago, parents found out their kids had been raped by a guy, a student, a male student, who was saying he's a girl and got to use the girls' bathrooms. And he was in there raping these different girls. That's why we've seen so many mama bears and papa bears show up at the school board meetings, people that have never been to a school board or a city council meeting in their lives, finally said, look, you have crossed the line. This is wrong. The best thing they could do is take their kids out of public school, to be honest. But certainly, they have every obligation to insist that the transgender foolishness stops because it puts their kids in mortal danger. David Barton cited Democrat governors who affirmed infanticide by allowing a child to die after surviving a botched abortion. He said the governor of Maryland said, we're going to have abortions up to 28 days after a child is born, and we're still going to call them abortions. California did the same thing. At least in one house, they've already passed it in the first body. They said, we'll abort babies up to 30 days after they're born and still call the procedure and abortion. It's so awful. It's so hideous. But you want some good news? Barton pointed to a bright spot in Virginia. In that state, 312 churches decided to make a difference. The pastors became engaged, urging their congregations to vote biblical values. And Barton clarified, he said, look, we don't want to tell them for whom to vote. We want to tell them, examine the candidates, find out what they stand for, and vote for the one that's closest to the biblical values that God set forth. So, guess what they did in Virginia? They got 77,000 people registered who had never, ever before participated in any election. Do you know how many votes the Republican candidate for Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin won by? He won by a margin of 65,000. You see what's happening there? When the church gets empowered, when the church gets mobilized, when the church is awoken from its slumber, when the pastors provide the leadership to the people in the pew, things can change, and things can change for the better. 2 Timothy 2.5 says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Barton asked, What are the rules of elections? Most of us don't know. But 30 people in those 312 churches became poll watchers and election judges. And as you look toward this midterm election, now just days away, November 8th, the big day, Tuesday, November 8th, it is not even too late now to call your local county election office and say, I'd like to be an election judge. I'd like to be a poll watcher. And usually it involves some very basic you know, you look at a video or, you know, they tell you, okay, this is what you need to watch for. And then you're on because it's all volunteer. The point is to provide accountability 
so that people are not as inclined to do mischievous things. So that's the issue. Guess what they found in Virginia when they had those 30 people from among 312 churches become poll watchers and election judges? Well, they got access to the voting lists and discovered as they began looking at names of the name on the list versus the name of people that actually lived there, they discovered 5.2% of the names were fraudulent. One voter had been registered to vote in 27 different locations. <laughs> 27! Talk about voter fraud. They found a guy who voted twice in 2020. Now, if that were not bad enough, guess what? The dude was born in 1850. He went through the Civil War, and then he voted twice in 2020. <laughs> so they've got, clearly they're taking whoever it is, is grabbing the names of dead people and registering them to vote as if they're alive today or not taking dead people off the rolls and voting as if they're that person. It's not an accurate election. It's fraudulent. But we're not going to know what's happening unless Christians step up, speak out, get plugged in, hold people accountable. You know what it would cost you in terms of time? The day of the election, minimally, maybe some days during early voting, if you have early voting in your state, most states do now. If you're a homeschool mom, hey, no better time to educate the kids than being right there for two or three days with your kids. Bring some things to color and some of the, their homework to do while you're watching, making sure no one's doing something sneaky, devious. If you're someone who works full-time, maybe you can take a day off and uh, consider volunteering half a day, see what, what they need. If you're self-employed or you own the company, you obviously have some more flexibility there. So that's encouraging, isn't it? To know that when they got involved, there was some accountability there. Listen to this. Of the first list of 200 names on the voters' roll in Virginia that they examined, the top 67 people were dead. That's almost 50% of the names on the voter roll. 67 of them were dead of the 200. Ephesians 4.13 points out that where light is, it drives out the darkness. So when you and I get plugged in and we hold people accountable, by our very presence, we will drive out the darkness. When these election volunteers got involved as poll watchers in Virginia, three of the county clerks quit just because someone was going to be in the room watching the election. Three of them quit. And in Dallas... David Barton had some other good news. Six months ago, 51 churches came together, recruited candidates from among the churches, and listen to this. They won 15 out of 15 races on the Dallas school board. Incredible. If we would just get involved, people, if we would get not just registered to vote, but if we would vote, and if we would get other people to vote, and if pastors would provide the leadership and would not hesitate in speaking to these issues. Only 2.8% of pastors do now out of the 380,000 we have across America. We need pastors to speak out to the issues of the day from a biblical perspective. That's exactly what God has called them to do. David Barton concluded his talk at the gathering for the family talk event with two pieces of counsel. Number one, if you do not read the Bible regularly, let me just point out to you, that in early America, it was the practice that everybody read the Bible through cover to cover once a year. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, 
the son of John Adams, who was the second president, John Quincy Adams wrote a book for 10-year-olds showing them how to read the Bible, cover to cover, once a year. And he pointed out, this is what Americans do. We read the Bible every year for 10-year-olds. How many adults do that in the church, in the body of Christ, in your church? Are you one of them that reads cover to cover the Bible? He pointed out that this is what Americans do. Get this, the biblical literacy was so high that in 1816 in New Jersey, for example, every first and second grader memorized, memorized the Gospel of John as part of first and second grade. David Barton says we need to get back to that, that level of biblical literacy, reading through the Bible cover to cover every year, and memorizing huge chunks of scripture. I find this convicting. I've been wanting to memorize the book of James. I've been threatening my my son that we would do it together as a father-son project. It has not materialized. We haven't done it. We just need to do it. We need to pull the trigger and do it. We memorized for his 13th birthday manhood celebration recently the passages 1 Timothy 4.12 and 1 Timothy 3.2 and 3 as part of his manhood celebration that was just held Saturday night, October 29th. 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And 1 Timothy 3.2-3, the man of God is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. We got those down, but we need to tackle the book of James. The second piece of advice that David Barton gave in closing at the gathering organized by Family Talk in the last couple of weeks in Colorado Springs was we need to be a three-thirds Christian, appreciating all three of God's institutions, the family, the church, and civil government. So as we think about revival, we have, I think, mistakenly believed that this would be something that would just somehow be a national event. When we think about revival, one thought that he had was, if we would just do what the Bible says we should do, then we would see revival in our hearts, in our families' hearts, in our individual churches' hearts, and it would have an impact on the state and the nation. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Four things that God's asking us to do. Humble ourselves, number one. Number two, pray. Number three, seek God's face. And number four, turn from our wicked ways. If we do those four things, what's the if-then statement in Second Chronicles seven fourteen? Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. If we would just do what the Bible says we should do in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength, but with God's help, we will ourselves be revived, our families will be revived, our churches will be revived, and we'll see the revival that we're all praying for. David Barton says, Christians must do their duty to the country as part of their duty to God. 
because America is a stewardship nation. I think that's an interesting phrase, a stewardship nation. We don't have kings that tell us what to do. We tell them what to do. We're a constitutional republic. This is not a monarchy. We don't have to deal with King George III. God put the government in our hands and said, you guys take care of it till I get back. This is a Luke 19.13 concept. Occupy until I come. The owner of the vineyard gave tasks and said, occupy until I come. It was a parable about God and us and what we're called to do until he returns in the second coming. Christians have a responsibility. David Barton says, God will bless or curse this nation according to the course that Christians take in politics. Now, that's a powerful statement. But why is it true, he asks rhetorically, why is it true that God will bless or curse this nation according to the course that Christians take in politics? Because we know in Proverbs 14.34, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. We love to sing God bless America, but if we want God to bless America, we've got to give him something to work with. <laughs> it takes righteousness that he can bless. So how do you get righteousness? Well, Proverbs 29.2 says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. These are some astute observations from David Barton of Wall Builders and if you want to hear the actual talk, just go to drjamesdobson.org and click on the broadcast tab and you'll be able to listen to it from there. What is your reaction to some of David Barton's interesting analysis here? And biblical analysis, I would add. Would love to hear from you. Send me an email to adam at theworldview.com. That's adam at theworldview.com. On behalf of Kevin Swanson, I'm Adam McManus as we lay down a vision for the next generation.